Welcome or welcome back everyone to The Handmaid's Takes, a proud member of the Smug Buds family of podcasts. I'm your host, Will, and I'm joined as always by Liz. Hello, Liz. Hey, Will. What's up? Oh, well, lots, but we'll get to that. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm, uh, it's like very warm in my house for being a pretty chilly day outside. I guess we have like, it's like a good mixture of the heat being on and it not being that cold outside. That sounds pretty good for you based on what I know of your preferences. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like kind of wearing like a tank top and some like sleepy shorts and like living my best life. Yeah. Oh, that uh, sounds wonderful. I'm I'm happy for you. Oh, so so should we say that we are recording this a little bit later than we planned to because I was away last weekend? Here's how we got to be where we are now. Uh, we are recording this on November 19th. Mm-hmm. Uh, the season finale, episode 10 of The Handmaid's Tale was two Wednesdays ago, so about a week and a half ago. Uh, we probably would have recorded this last weekend had it not been for you uh, went on a trip for Veterans Day weekend. Well, and, it was for New Year's Eve. Um, I, I don't follow. <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> so we have this group of friends that we normally spend New Year's Eve with. Mm-hmm. And um, we haven't been able to for the past few years. And so this year we were like, okay, I think we all feel comfortable enough with this. But someone suggested that we do it, I think it was maybe Kathy, that we do it in November so we avoid any, like, COVID spikes. Mm-hmm. And so we did. And our friend uh, Jones, Mike Jones, who I've mentioned on the podcast before, he was the one that um, dropped almonds on the set of that Will Smith movie. Yes. <laughs> um, he He was like, oh, yeah, my uncle has a house. I think we can use it. So we got this absurd house. Mm. With like seven bedrooms, a hot tub, a sauna, um, a basketball court, <laughs> okay, and a pool. But we obviously didn't use the pool. Um, and we we celebrated New Year's, so we all hung out. We ate. I was in the sauna every night, uh, and the and the hot tub. The first night I was in the hot tub alone. The second night I was joined by other friend of the pod, Mike Coakley, and his wife Hannah. Um, true friend of the pod, a, a guest, a former guest, bud, Mike yes. Coakley. Um, and yeah, on Saturday, Coakley was a little bit ill on Friday. He had a headache, so they didn't come. So on Saturday, we stayed up until midnight and we okay. uh, sabered a bottle of champagne. Okay, yeah. My brother bought a saber, <laughs> a champagne saber. Yes. It came in a wooden box. And yeah, we it, it's 2023, baby. I'm ready. Okay. So All right. So you've, you've answered the questions that I was going to follow up with. So <laughs> first of all, quick recommendation. Watch the movie Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It's very entertaining. Oh, good. And it's relevant to something you said or more than one thing that you just said, <laughs> but I won't tell you what specifically. Okay. Just watch the movie and enjoy it. Uh, second, you you answered my question I was going to ask, was this a very belated New Year's celebration or was or a it- a very early one. Or, or an early one. Yeah. Uh, you answered that. Uh, and uh, I had another question you oh um oh I I was gonna ask did you do a countdown to midnight? Oh, we had uh, glasses. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Oh, the only other two things I want to mention is other friend of the pod Owen was also there. Mm, oh, <laughs> so uh, I, Owen of the uh, this episode was for Owen. Yes. Owen. Yeah. And that was a delight, and he is a joy. And also, my brother bought an entire hamon, which is a leg of ham. That comes oh. on a special, comes with a special 
knife and uh-huh. a special stand, and then you shave off small pieces of it to eat. Uh, and I am now in possession of the hamon because oh. he could not take it back to his house because he didn't have a place to keep it because sure. the dogs would eat it right away. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the- I have an enormous hamon on my kitchen table. <laughs> And was was the special ham knife in addition to the saber? These yes. Are two, okay, two. I, okay, so yeah, you you had a sounds like a an all timer of a of a weekend. Oh my god, it was absurd. I was so happy. Yeah. And uh, now I'm paying with it with a tiny cold, but it could well, be that's worse. yeah, that's something to celebrate. And if that's the cost of what you just described, then I, I would pay that tenfold for yes. the for ha- uh, half the bargain. Uh, Luckily for so so our intention was bi-weekly episodes. Yes. Two episodes of the Handmaid's Tale per episode of the podcast. Mm-hmm. We stuck to that. Mm-hmm. We foresaw without being certain that the uh season would end in 10 episodes. Yes, because it, until it ended we literally could not find this information anywhere. And conveniently, it was only once the season was over that one of us had an obligation that delayed recording. Yes. Once the season finale happens, it's basically impossible for us to fall behind on yes. doing this recap podcast until I suppose there's another there's another A new season. season yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so as far as I'm concerned, we're ahead of the game. Yes. Now the other way I want to look at this is. Um, I, I have a, a big uh, twist ending reveal. <gasps> I've been saying uh, for uh, eight weeks over four episodes that this these are not episodes of the Smug Buds. The reveal <laughs> is that that they all are episodes of the Smug Buds, and so and so is this one. And and the reason why I'm saying this, mm-hmm. look, I, this doesn't need to be said. Okay. Uh, no one's listening, and nothing <laughs> that we do matters, and that's good, by the way. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. have it any other way. I don't want more people to listen. Uh-huh. Um, but so, so, uh, we, that means we can do, uh, whatever we want as we please, when we want to do it, we're yes. not beholden to anything, but, uh, what also remains true is that just for my own personal satisfaction, mm-hmm. I like a neat, tidy, clean narrative. Oh, things happen this way. And that's good because. Yeah. And here's how uh, that is relevant to this moment in time. Mm-hmm. This is uh, not only an episode of the Smug Buds. This is your November 2022 episode of the Smug Buds. Yes. The first episode of this run of Handmaid's Tale recap episodes. That was at the end of September. That was your September 2022 yes. episode of the Smug Buds. In between, there were three episodes in October. What did we do at the beginning of the year? I, what did we do? I don't remember. Oh, we took a break. We skipped two months. Yes. So, assuming we do one December episode of <laughs> The Smug Buds, yeah. you will have your 12 episodes <laughs> of The Smug Buds for 2022, despite the fact that we took january and february off you know and that's so funny too because um when you said what did we do i was like oh my god i don't think we did anything (laughs) yeah that was the (laughs) answer (laughs) yeah right uh so isn't that nice 
Yes, good and job, it, yes. Will. I, I don't get, uh, you know, the the tingles from uh, ASMR, but mm-hmm. I, I imagine what they're like, and that's that's the feeling of a of a nice, clean, neat narrative for, <laughs> oh, it's every, it's, things happen this way for a reason. Yeah. So in the, it, the last time we spoke, uh-huh. uh, it was Halloween. Oh, yes, it was. Now... We are like right on top of Thanksgiving, basically. Mm-hmm. I feel like so much has happened in that intervening time. Yeah. In addition to wrapping up this season of The Handmaid's Tale, uh, for example, a new set of magic cards came out. Mm-hmm. You might think that for that reason, I've been playing more arena than usual. Mm-hmm. The fact is that I've been cutting back on arena and the main reason why is because i'm here to announce that i am now in my marvel snap era (laughs) i have started playing the game marvel snap on my (laughs) cellular phone and it rips it rocks it roars it's so good it's so fun and it's so addicting oh man i think we might have to stream it uh soon uh, and, uh, so we can talk all about it. Yeah. Besides that, uh, Dana and I got a record player, uh, <gasps> in the past couple of weeks. Oh my God. That's a great thing. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. So I'm both na- like, oh, that's cool. And then I'm also like, oh, you're going to spend so much money. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Which now- is not something I have to be worried about. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> so now I'm just low key. Uh, very slowly, uh, yeah, starting my, uh, record collection or... Are you saying things like, oh, it just sounds so warm. It, it does sound warm. <laughs> Part of what inspired the purchase was, um, the, the wonderful... Taylor Swift's Midnights. <laughs> yes, yes. With you... the four that you can get with the clock. You guessed it. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about when you say that. Um, <laughs> uh... <coughs> There's a wonderful establishment I've probably mentioned here before. Maybe I mentioned it in the sort of recent comic book episode uh-huh. called Heroes and Villains. Uh, they sell comic books. I also buy my magic cards there. Right. Yeah. Um, what is sort of interesting about this place is that it has multiple connected storefronts. Oh. So I go in one door and shop for my comic another. books. No, I come out the same door, but then I have to go into a different door to buy my magic cards. And in oh. there, they sell trading cards. They sell board games. They sell uh, mm-hmm. lots of collectible stuff. Well, not that long ago, they opened a third. St- they've they've sh- shuffled things around multiple times. There was a period where one section one door was it was just magic cards and there was like lots of room to like play games there and stuff i'm sure the pandemic affected a lot of their business and there's not as much gathering in the magic the gathering um these days uh, or or in recent years point Mm -hmm. is they sell vinyl now they sell they sell record they have a storefront which is uh they've put their video games in there and also records and uh, Heroes and Villains has a reward system um, where uh, I have ac- accumulated a lot of points uh, mm-hmm. over the years uh, and have hardly used them at all. Uh, and uh, I, I reflected on how many points I had and how I, they could be used. Yeah. I learned that the uh, 
the way you accrue them is it, it is one dollar per point. Uh-huh. So I can look at my points total no. and just see how, <laughs> just plainly see how much time, how much money I've spent there. Uh-huh, a loyal uh, customer. Yeah, which is just a horrific uh, <laughs> fact. Uh, and um, one, so for a, a certain number of points that perhaps I won't disclose, <laughs> um, you could get the reward of fifty uh, percent off any Jensen brand record player uh, oh, at their great. record store. So we went there and we bought a Jensen brand record player and uh, Dana picked out uh, our very first and uh, at that time only record. Uh, would you care to hazard a guess? That's not a clue. It's not the Hazards of Love by the Decemberists. Um, I, I have no idea. I know what I would have gotten first. Because it Which was is. one of the first things I well the first thing I got well not the first thing but one of the very first vinyls that I specifically bought when we had a, when we moved in together was um uh, in the airplane over the sea by Neutral Milk Hotel. It was in the airplane over the sea by Neutral Milk Hotel. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect it's a perfect thing to listen because it's like mm-hmm. one it's one vinyl so you don't have to switch it more than once. Right, you just have it's to like turn a it over. perfect. It's like made for vinyl. Yeah. It truly is. And it and I I saw it coming. It was not a surprise to me, but it was uh satisfying when um one track would just bleed right mm. into the other and I would reflect on the thousands of times that I've listened to the to this album and every time there was just a an a a little awful p- pause in be- <laughs> yeah. yeah, it would be like thanks itunes or whatever i'm listening to it on for ruining the effect of that moment um so uh all of this and more uh has happened in the past few weeks um for example a new uh poke new duo of pokemon games just came out yes i think i'm gonna ask for that for christmas from santa uh, I think that that's a, a, a brilliant request. Um, I am personally probably not going to play it. I have no plans to, but uh, I mean, it's it's a huge thing uh, that happened not only in the world in general, but mm-hmm. in the in the world of things that we are known to discuss uh, yeah. on the podcast. Um, speaking of video games, last week I bought God of War Ragnarok. I haven't even started to play it. It, it there's there's um it, uh, a new uh mcu movie is in theaters and it has been for a week i haven't seen it yet yeah uh it's uh it's it's an overwhelming time yeah i'm behind on a lot of stuff and and yet being behind <sighs> on so many things and being overwhelmed by the amount of content i want to consume and activities that i want to do <clears throat> We've still made time to watch <laughs> this heaping pile and of now, confusion. And now we make time to discuss <laughs> the conclusion of season five of Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale. Episode nine was called Allegiance. Yes, sure was. Episode 10 was called Safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, it's been a little bit of time. I have continued to take no notes. <laughs> Aren't you glad that I did? I am very glad that you've taken good notes um, because I would 
like to use them as direction for our discussion. And uh, probably you will remind me of some things that I have to say after watching these two episodes. So it immediately starts and they're in a hangar. Why are they in this hangar? I mean, we discussed this a little bit at the end where you were like, they're going to be in the war room. The war room. Next yeah. time on, yeah. And it's like, why are they here? It's suddenly like very, that that tone that every show gets when they're in a military operation where they have to like pretend that they know how the military works and they're just <laughs> all like, oh, yes, sir, and all this bullshit. And there's people saluting them and it's like, what the fuck is happening? Sure. Um, it's it's important that, so the the operation that they're going to attempt is going to basically re- liberate a a whole school of wives in training, including well, Hannah. Not a whole school. Okay. Thirty girls. Yeah. And it's only ones that have been stolen, so they aren't oh, yes. going to liberate the children that hypothetically were born in Gilead that are. Yeah. You know, Gileadian. They're the ones that have been kidnapped. Good. Yes, a good distinction. Um. But but suffice it to say, there are 30 families who stand to get their children back, assuming that none of them are siblings. If they were, that would reduce the number of families. (laughs) Uh, But presumably there are are 30 sets of parents or or families. And uh, of these, um, we see none of them except for the main characters of the show. Who, uh, I, for for everyone involved, it is important that they go to where the planes are that are yes. going to be flown in this operation and that they meet one or more of the pilots who are going to fly the planes. And then June uses this opportunity to say to Mark Tuello, we are also going to be in the room with you <laughs> Okay, so when the operation is happening. <laughs> so, and, and he says, no, go- you're not. And she says, yes, we are. And he says, okay. So to go back a little bit, yes, for some reason, so something that Elise keeps bringing up as a criticism of the show is that they do no world building, and mm. even the world building that they have done, they've, like, cut down the characters. Mm. So it's, like, it's all about June all the time, nothing matters, and, like, that, this is a great example of that. Like, for some reason, June and Luke are in this hangar, nobody else is there, we never see them, we never hear from them, we don't know anything about them, they're not even there in the background. Um, I have been waiting for three weeks to tell you this, Will. So the pilot that they meet, um, first off, he says, you're a, a Hannah Bankhole's your daughter, right? And she's like, they, she's like, wow. And Tuello's like, the elite units do their homework. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he just knew her name. And also, she's like the most famous person. Yeah, right. Um, but I looked up this guy, Will. I looked up this guy. Did you look up this guy? The actor? Yeah. No, I have no idea what you're going to say. Oh, my God. I looked up this guy. So he's been in this, and he has something that's coming out later that's in, like, Mm post-production. The only other thing he's been in is Bachelor in Paradise, Canada. No. (laughs) What? The only other thing he's been in. As a a contestant? I think so. Huh. And it's like he was on like six or seven episodes of that. Bat not even Bachelor in Paradise. Bachelor in Paradise Canada. Which seems funnier to me because they're in Canada in the show, but like that doesn't need to be true. You know right. what I mean? Like that yeah. doesn't need to be the case. Yeah. <laughs> Most of those actors that we discussed are like British. 
Yes, and Australian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's my that's what I've been waiting for three weeks to tell you because I was losing my mind when I, I was like, how did you get this job? That's bizarre. <laughs> huh. Um. Oh, and sorry, the movie that he is in post-production, he doesn't play the main character, but it's a movie called The Manny, which if you watched any of This Is Us, okay, so I don't, here's the thing, I don't know if these things are connected, but if you watched any of This Is Us, the one brother in that show was sort of a famous actor from being The Manny, a man nanny, and it was like a sitcom. So now there's this movie that's called The Manny, and I cannot, I haven't actually looked very hard to see if this is at all, like, connected to This Is Us, or if they literally just stole the name. <laughs> huh. Uh, but so it's like every single thing is weird. Like every single layer of this is like, does it make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that seems almost made up. That's fascinating <laughs> to me. But yeah, so they meet. And as you said, uh, she's like, the reasoning that she gives for being in the room is, well, we gave you intel. Right. And so he's like, okay. But it's like, it's so funny because it's like such a weak little like fight that they have. It's like, obviously she was going to be in the room if in the way that the show is written. It's yeah, it's odd that they have him resist when the moment is over so quickly. And also not to mention the fact that when we meet the pilot, it's completely transparent why we're meeting the pilot. Because he's like, hello, nice to meet you. Establish my credibility and likability. Here is my name. I have a daughter. Here's her name. I, I wonder what's going to happen to this guy yeah. <laughs> who's in one scene. It's, it, it's very, very much like when they met the young guy uh, behind enemy lines. And he's like, my name is, I don't know, it was Lucas or something. Yeah. And then he gets blown up by a landmine, which I feel like we spent too little time talking about. <laughs> That somebody is killed by a landmine um, in this season. Um, oh, and is also, like killed, also, killed like brutally, like not immediately dead. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Is alive and in pain. That's part of it as well. And, and so this is a lot like that. Plus, this is worse than that because we spend even less time with this character. And of course, it is a person of color in this case yes. when it was a little weaselly white boy uh, before. <laughs> And, and okay, so this is the plan. The plan is that they have a break in their surveillance where they know that they'll be able to fly a plane over and um, get out the girls and then fly back without being immediately detected by Gilead. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the plan. That's what they explained to June and... Um, the other dude. Do we do we just want to do this whole thing out right now? <laughs> yeah, let's do this whole thing out right now. How does that work, Will? <laughs> um, it fails um, almost immediately. <laughs> um, in uh, you know, we see what it's like from inside what I'm calling the war room. Yeah. Uh, and um, which is another way of saying that we don't see any action. Yes. Uh, but we are led to understand that all of the aircraft uh, in this uh, mission are shot down. Shot down by Gilead. Yep. By Gilead with like anti-air 
defense missiles or something. Yeah. And uh, everyone flying those planes, everyone inside, they're all dead. No, there are zero, zero survivors. And um, this led me to think, well, in order for that to be true, they must have had some bad intel about Mm -hmm. when and where to execute this mission. Because they were flying over through Wisconsin, I think. And where did they get their intel from? Yeah. Well, that's vague, and it easily could be from Gilead. It 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 made me think. Oh, they um they were led into a trap. Yeah. My question to you is: Were they? Because. I'll cut to sort of my thesis. The the biggest, in my mind, most egregious crime committed in these two episodes and maybe all season mm-hmm. is that the way that they talk about this question I'm raising now is that as they are grieving their loss in the immediate aftermath, Mark says to June something like, I never should have trusted that information or I never should have trusted that source. He says something like that. And that that's like basically the totality of how they address it. Yeah. And it feels like a real like sweep under the rug moment when that feels like something that ought to matter, but really it was just something you know, convenient to tell this story. Yeah, I think that I I agree with you. So I think I think that there's two things going on. The first thing that I think is going on is that the whole intelligence, who knows what, who exactly is the American government besides just two LO, um, is muddied and not clear, and they sort of rely on that to move the plot along. Mm-hmm. The second thing that's here is that like hypothetically nick is feeding them information um this is sort of skipping ahead to this episode and the next episode (laughs) Mm -hmm. where nick is just like kind of like traveling back and forth however much he wants he keeps saying like you know we had a deal um and saying like you know you just but like for what like for what end we're never sure and so it's like a mixture between like well it seems like it must have come from nick but who, because who else would it have come from? But that's never actually said. But also, like, we literally don't see anybody else except the people that we see, which we've already seen a bunch of times. So, like, who knows? Like, it's just, I think it's very unclear and, and not in a, a interesting way. I think it's a major problem that I feel like I missed something. Yes. And it feels incredibly lazy to me that... In the previous episode, not one of these two, they introduced a CD came in the mail. Yes. uh, And it has this footage of Hannah on it, and it's going to give them what they need to go get her. And then not only do we never find out who sent it, but Mm -hmm. they, they never even raised the question. No. 
And basically all that's said about it is Mark saying like, ah, <laughs> uh, you know, we got some bad intel and maybe we shouldn't have trusted our sources. Well, like, well, what sources? And was it, was it just, in, was it incompetence? Yeah. That led them to this mission failing and all those people dying? Or was it a trap? Were they fed? Bad Were info. they intentionally fed bad information by, say, like Lawrence? Yeah. To lead them into a trap. And I think also this this goes into the problem that they we run into in the next episode too, which is that like we have these characters who all seem to be at the top. Yeah. Like they all seem to be the ones with the most information of anybody. Mm-hmm. And then there's always then there's always suddenly this reveal that there's this whole group of other people that are doing stuff that we that are like influential that we see for like half a second, right? So mm-hmm. like we've got the um you know, earlier in the season we've got them suddenly being like, Oh, we have all these people at the border or whatever that are like, you know, it's May Day or whatever. And then like in the next episode, and we'll obviously talk about this then, like <laughs> it's like Everybody knows everything and then suddenly it's like there's a bunch of people getting on trains and it's like mm-hmm. how has none of these main characters heard of this? Mm-hmm. But they they do this thing where it's like they try – it's like they try to world build but they just do it in ways that it's like so lopsided. Mm-hmm. And I feel like too in the book they got away with this because it was so narrow, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And they can't get away with it now because of how deep we are into it. Mainly because of the Lawrence character. The the mm-hmm. thing that, that feels really false or lopsided, to use your word, is uh, it, there's a lot of scenes with Lawrence where it really feels like he's the head honcho for all of Gilead. Yes, he's like the president, but he's obviously don't have a president. But they also want us to believe... That there are leaders in Washington with more power than him. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't understand why they want to have it both ways. Yeah. I don't understand how it benefits them or or anyone for there to be high commanders that we never see that... You know, we don't know what they're doing. And meanwhile, Lawrence seems to fill that role just fine. And Well, and it's like Lawrence can do whatever he wants, right? He can shoot a dude at brunch. He can build a whole colony on an island. Like, it's it's compelling that Lawrence wants to do more, but... Like, Lawrence doesn't need you know, overseers or overlords to inhibit his progress. Yes. He has like constituents and peers that he has a responsibility to who would, uh, you know, not allow him to do everything that he wants. Yeah. Like the story would, I think, basically be the same if, he he and his peers were the highest authority in Gilead. He he would he would still be in the same position where yes. 
he wants to make things more progressive, but he has to do it incrementally. Yes. Do you have anything else you want to say on this? Because we need to talk about something key about the attack, which is that we do get to see Hannah's wife college a little bit. True. Yeah. And what's the big reveal there? Well, there's two big reveals. (laughs) Is one of them uh, that they sleep in a circle of tents indoors? (laughs) So they sleep in this circle of tents in like a lobby um, and like lace tents. You you know what it's reminiscent of. What? The Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, right. The Royal Tenenbaums. Yes. When you think of a tent indoors. But the second thing is that my favorite thing came up, which is that they're at a school and so she has books, but they're all picture books. Mm, Yes. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And... As we're finding out, in the height of us finding out that um, the mission is going to fail, Hannah, we see Hannah write her name in the book. Mm-hmm. But she write, but it's it. She doesn't write her name as she's been called for many years. She writes Hannah. Her real name. She does not write Agnes. Mm-hmm. Um, which is one of these things that I feel like was supposed to be this big reveal because, okay, you know, just, you know, in terms of the implications of what this means, there's a lot going on here. It means one that she remembers her name, because if you'll remember the past couple of times she's seen June, it's been like a whole thing about like how much she actually remembers of June. Right. Right. So that's one thing. It also means that clearly this woman has not been taught to read or spell, um, but she has somehow figured out how to spell her name. So that's something. So we have that going on. But it seems like this big reveal. And what do they do with it? Fucking nothing. Well, that's the last. Yeah, that's the last <laughs> we see of her. For now, at least. Yeah. Just you're the early childhood expert of the two of us. Just out of yeah. curiosity. Based on what we know about how old Hannah is supposed to have been throughout the points of this story is it conceivable that before she was abducted hannah knew how to spell hannah yes elliot has known how to spell her name and since she was like four Mm -hmm. um so yeah it is conceivable though i will say i mean obviously there are children on every different spectrum so like it's very conceivable that she could have known it's also very conceivable that she didn't Mm -hmm. at all yet Right, um, but 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 to, suffice it to say, it's possible she remembers how to spell it. Yes, it's possible than, that she's been like machinating this over and over so she doesn't forget. Yeah, rather than having learned post uh, being abducted. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought of that. Um, but yeah, she. I guess what I mean more. This is what I mean more so. Not that she knows how to spell it, but that she knows how to write it. Mm-hmm. Elliot knew how to spell her name before she knew how to write her name. Yeah. Just because the fine motor skills is different than, like, the rote memorization. Right. So, yes, it's definitely possible. But the fact, even the fact that she remembers, I guess, after, like, sort of the level of trauma, I think, mm-hmm. is remar- is the remarkable thing. Yeah. I wonder if she has any idea how to spell Agnes. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so that's what happens there. And then that's, and then the weird thing, I remember watching this episode. I don't know if you felt this way. But I remember watching this episode and thinking, oh, my God, this episode is still happening. (laughs) And it wasn't, like, any longer than any of – you know how sometimes, like, the episodes are, like, longer or shorter? Mm -hmm. I don't think this episode was, like, any longer. Yeah. But I I just was like, oh, my God. Like, we got through that whole thing. And I was like, this is the first, like, 20 minutes. (laughs) 
episode nine. Yeah, it was actually a particularly short episode. <laughs> episode nine is 47 minutes. Oh, my God. Compared to episode 10 is 56. Yeah. It felt so long. Like, they, sh- they shoved so much stuff in there. Um, okay, so do you want to talk about Serena? Yeah, we need to. So Serena is trying to convince the um, wheelers that yeah. she should be allowed to go into the city for the opening of the fertility center with the baby. Right. And while in the past I have been on Serena's side in terms of um, the way that they're parenting the child, mm-hmm. I am on Mrs. Put- or on, not on, Ms. on Mrs. Wheeler's side here. She says you shouldn't let that baby around all those germs, and she is right. It mm. is sort of insane to bring a one-month-old baby who has had very few vaccinations around a bunch of people that you don't know, because at this point you have to be worried about things like whooping cough. Um, everybody that we knew that um, saw Elliot got a Tdap, or was taking care of Elliot long-term, got a Tdap shot, which is tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, which those last 10 years, but yeah, I mean, who's t- flu shots, um, you know, all, all those sorts of things. Like, we definitely took Elliot out as a baby pre-pandemic, but we were not, you know, the people that were, we weren't taking Elliot to an indoor concert. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, so yes, she's right. Um, Serena goes out of her way to... Um, she goes to the command to the non-commander to Mr. Oh, yes. Wheeler. Mr. Wheeler because at some point she Mrs. Wheeler says my husband doesn't answer cuz she's like I should be Serena's like I should be there like this is why I'm here like this is why I was sent the commander sent me and she says my husband doesn't answer to those commanders and I'm like who is he? Mhm. Like, I feel like we've talked about this before, but, like, who the fuck are these people that they're, like, cosplaying Gilead, but also, like, firmly rejecting what Gilead is actually wants? Yeah, one of the disappointments of uh, watching the final episodes of the season was that um, we didn't uh, see a reappearance of, of Ezra, who... Yes. Immediately when he entered the story this season, I was like, hmm, I think I need to pay attention to who this guy is. Yeah. And uh turns out, yeah, after he's shot, he's he's going to be referenced constantly, but we're never <laughs> going to see him again. And yeah, one of the questions on my mind is um, when we're first introduced to him, it's like, oh, he's kind of taking over for Mark Tuello. You're not uh, in the care of the U.S. government anymore. You're a Gilead diplomat in Canada, and here's your new attaché or whatever. Yeah. And, and pres- if he works for anyone, he must work for the government of Gilead, right? Mm-hmm. But then as soon as uh, she has to leave the center and go somewhere safe, He's like, uh, I know somewhere safe to take you and takes her to the wheelers. And from that point on, seems like he's loyal to them. Yeah. And they are Canadian. Mm-hmm. And they don't answer to Gilead. And presumably they don't have official roles in Gilead government. Yes. So 
is Ezra just a mercenary and he primarily works for Mr. Wheeler? Mm-hmm. And he did all along? Yeah, who is he? Was he a plant at the center in order to get her to the Wheelers because they wanted her baby all along? Yeah, or was it's a it weird just, way to get a baby. Or was it just convenient? And, like, I think that this goes back to the world building thing. It's like they've introduced these characters, but there's, like, no actual structure to explain why they're there, who they work for, what their interests are, even if that changes later. You know what I mean? This is the this is the conflict, I think, in a, in a nutshell. It's that the show is writing the story in such a way that it creates the expectations that the infrastructure that mm-hmm. we are looking for seems important. Yes. But they have not established that infrastructure in any clear or meaningful way. <laughs> yeah. One more thing that I forgot to mention about Mrs. Wheeler is that also she basically starts telling Serena like, okay, well, you need to start pumping instead of breastfeeding because she's like trying to edge her out more. Mm-hmm. And so, like Serena like is like, oh, well, I don't want him to get confused. And then Mrs. Wheeler says, my smart boy won't get confused. And this is another time why I will in fact side with Mrs. Wheeler. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, nipple confusion is not real. Mm-hmm. This is a real thing that people worry about, that they that children will get used to um, suckling from a – suckling is not the right word – a nipple on a bottle and then won't know how to do it on a breast. And that's not true. That's not how that works. <laughs> like, kids have to learn. There's, like, some amount of learning curve that's involved with all of that. Mm-hmm. But um, – there's there won't their nipple confusion has been scientifically proven to be false. But the reason I bring this up specifically is because, as you know, I have a lot of feelings about breastfeeding, and specifically, um, nipple confusion is, I think, a way that is used to scare mothers into away from being able to also use bottles in addition to breastfeeding. Mm. Um, thus, f- feeling like they must breastfeed and they cannot be away from their child, even if their own mental health is suffering, or even if they're not sleeping, or even if they're really sick, or even if they need to go on a trip or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I felt the need to point it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so nip- nipple confusion is a lie that uh, generated by the patriarchy to yes limit women's options. Yes. Um. So she does, Serena does, after she gets a no from... um. What's her face? Mrs. Wheeler. This really is the perfect show for us to talk about, isn't it? We just (laughs) think of like, have you been watching Andor? No, I'm I'm so behind. It's so good, Liz. Oh, yes, it is. It's baffling how good it is. And we could be talking about that every week (laughs) or every other week. But as good as that is, I don't think it would generate as much conversation as the show that has so much to do with fertility and breastfeeding. Where I can go in, come in with some facts. Mm-hmm. Some I can nitpick. Yeah, you're right. I'm, love, yeah, okay. We love to I'll, pick we love to pick nits. And, yes, we do. And if you are picking nits about Andor, I have a problem with you. <laughs> you need to hurry up and do something else. Did I ever tell you about how Kenny wants to write a children's book called Crooks and Nannies about 
crooks and nannies that hide in nooks and crannies of a house. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I don't believe I've heard that. But that is a plus. I know. We need to find an illustration. I guess we can have Aram illustrate it. I see this as if she'll just illustrate whatever I want. But uh-huh. she will, actually, if I ask her and she has time. Um. So he go. She goes down to him at night, and the first thing he says to her are, "Are you gonna shoot me?" Mm. <laughs> um. She also says at one point. He also says, "I think you've buttered me up," which I thought was funny. It felt very um life aquatic to me. <laughs> Dana had something to say about this scene. It's a very thinly established character to begin with. Yes, and then. They still manage to present him in a way where he seems out of character. Yeah. He's just, he's uncharacteristically Lawrence-y in that yes. scene. Like he's That's very, right. He's very quippy. Oh, and that, okay. And that leads me to, do you know who directed this episode? Was it? Um, Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford. <laughs> and I knew that going in. So when Dana said, why is he acting so much like Lawrence? I was like. Maybe he got a lot of notes from the director. Oh, my God. And, oh, my God. And Brad- <laughs> Bradley Whitford just told him, you know, whatever like my, Bradley. You know, what if you were like my character? Whatever Bradley Whitford's own internal process is for uh, being uh, his, uh, per- his own persona on screen, he may have fed that uh, uh, language to uh, to this poor guy. So... What what else is because I don't know who Bradley Whitford is except for Lawrence. Like, what else has he been in? Like, what what else does, is he good at his job? Like, who is he? I think I can't believe I'm asking this right now, but still. Look, um, from an amateur place of not being qualified to answer this question, mm-hmm. I think he is one of those actors who is capable of scene-stealing excellence Mm. as long as he is deployed in just the right role, in just the right project, with just the right tone. Okay. And if there is a mismatch, then it can be a disaster. Mm -hmm. So I think of Bradley... So public consciousness, ask anyone, do a survey of the public... Yeah. And they'll probably tell you Bradley Whitford is from the West Wing. Oh, okay. I've never watched the West Wing, so that's not my answer. Yeah. My answer is Bradley Whitford is from two things. Get Out. Oh, okay. And The Cabin in the Woods. Oh, okay. Two things I've seen, but clearly was not aware of this man at the time, so. Two things that he's very good in and that he's perfect for. Yeah. Like the roles might have been written for him. That's yeah. that's how good a match it is. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. So yeah. So she Serena does her like pitch where she basically is like, well, first she's all like, you know, submissive and like, you're so great, thank you so much. And he's like, okay, well, like, what what's your shit? And she's like, okay, I think I need to be there for these reasons. And he says, it's a convincing pitch. I'll think about it. And then basically says, or it, you know, we find out that she's allowed to go. And so the next day, she's, like, getting into the fucking SUV with, oh, what is that baby's name? Noah. Noah. Because he, <laughs> the fucking arc metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a tweet. Oh, who was it by? It was by one of the comedy guys that we like that was, 
boats boats existed before the ark but man if i was noah i would brag about inventing the boat <laughs> i think i saw that tweet too <laughs> so she's getting in the car and mrs wheeler comes over and slaps her twice mm-hmm. <laughs> which is so funny because serena's just like so large Mm. That actress is like, I don't mean large. I just mean like she's like, she's tall and she's, she's got imposing, like yeah. broad shoulders. Yeah, she's like mm-hmm. a scary lady. And then you have this tiny little actress who plays Mrs. Wheeler like slapping her. It's like, Serena, just kick her. You're yeah, like so much right. bigger than she is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then that's the other weird thing. Just, just like to finish out the Serena line. So like, she's like, did you bring, we should feed her. Or she's like, Serena, you should go home and I'll take Noah. And she's like, well, no, I need to feed him. And she's like, well, didn't you bring a bottle? And Serena's like, no, I didn't. She's like, I always told you to bring a bottle. Blah, 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 blah. And so there's this like, there's that woman that's cosplaying as a Martha mm-hmm. who is like clearly very um, sympathetic to Serena. And she's, you know, always kind of in the background, but oh, covering her for her as much as she can. And she's like, I'm so sorry, ma'am. Like, it was me. I should have brought one. It's, like, my fault. So she's going into this, like, back room to, like, breastfeed Noah. Oh, sorry. But before that, I forget exactly what happens. But I wish I had written it down. But, like, the the command or the fake commander, Mr. Wheeler, he makes some sort of quip. Mm. <laughs> he makes some sort of quip and where Mrs. Wheeler's, like, furious. But it's this, like, weird joke and it, like, doesn't make any sense in the context of what's happening. I remember that moment, but I don't remember the content. So she, like, goes into this back room and there's, you know, a very classic handmade shot where she's, like, in a window, in a door. And, like, you know, the, like, camera's, like, moving out. So she's, like, sort of getting further away. And right behind her is this... (laughs) bright red exit sign Mm -hmm. and what does she do will she exits she exits and it's so funny because obviously like the way that they wrote it this couldn't happen anywhere except this episode at this moment but it is funny to think that like because of the arc of the show that she just she you know june is like you're going to be there plotting how to get out with your baby the whole time or whatever and that was like the last episode and it it seems to have taken her all of like a week so i i've (laughs) I've uh, decided I wanted to know what that quip was. And oh, so please. I, Did you find I, it? No, not yet. <laughs> I think I will, but I was uh, pulling up the episode on my iPad. I was going mm-hmm. to use no volume and just read the captions and find the quip. And I found the scene. And uh, rather than wait until the moment and then reveal what the quip is, I'm talking about it now <laughs> because I've discovered that inexplicably the uh, titles, uh, the subtitles are in Spanish. <laughs> Are you def- trying to become multilingual, Will? That's really honorable of you. Uh, yeah, thanks. I'm <laughs> definitely going to take credit for that, and that's why I brought it up. Do you want to just take a pause while you find the quip? No, I want to keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> so she runs out of the building. The alarm's like, wee-woo-wee-woo, because it's like an emergency exit, not an exit you're actually supposed to go out of. Um, and she like runs and she's like trying to get somebody and she sees, uh, she finally stops in front of an SUV and she's like, please help me save my baby. And this like young woman's like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. And so they like get in and like jet. And that's like the last we see of her in this episode. And, and 
for most of next episode as well. Well, and that just leads me to say that I, I think the only thing of interest to me that I have to say about this is that watching episode 10, which is almost an hour long. Yeah. I We were pretty close to the end when I considered, huh, we haven't seen Serena at all. What the heck was the last thing we saw of Serena? <laughs> oh, yeah. She just got into that stranger's car. <laughs> And that kind of made me laugh and it made me go like, oh, yeah, I guess they just didn't have room for a Serena subplot in the finale. And that does feel to me like a perfect end of arc season finale moment. And by perfect, I mean, and this is where basically most of our cast ends up Mm -hmm. at the end of the season. It's it reminded me of um, I think it's like the way that season three of angel ends where like one two characters get back to the home base and it's empty and one of them looks at the other and goes like where is everybody yeah and it's because everybody is you know go everybody's split up and nobody knows what's happening to everybody else and it's it just leaves the door open to like a lot of different possibilities yeah. Going into the beginning of next season. And that's perfect if you're writing the show. Yes. Because I suspect they don't know what's going to happen next. Yes. And so, you know, Nick ends up, I guess, imprisoned and Luke is being arrested and Serena and June and their babies are on a train that I think is going to Hawaii, if I understood correctly. Oh my gosh. I talked to many people about this and this is what we've decided. They're not going to Hawaii. They're going to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And from Vancouver, they're going to go to Alaska. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Now that said, that's very confusing because when June is whispering sweet nothings to baby Nicole, she keeps saying that they're going to an island, but I'm certain they're going to Alaska. I would believe that, um, certainly. Uh, but but all of this to say that I had this moment before episode 10 was over that I was like, oh, the last we'll see of Serena is her getting into the stranger's car. And that, as as strange as that is, yeah, it kind of makes sense because anything could happen next. Yes. And they haven't decided what will happen next. Yes. Uh, now, then that was immediately undermined <laughs> when it turns out that the twist ending of, of uh, episode 10 is that we do see Serena again and that she's on the same train with June. Also, can I, I mean, just to skip ahead to the very end into predictions, can I tell you what, how, what I think episode one is going to be of the next season? Yeah, go for it. I think it's going to be us following Serena to how she gets on the train. I disagree. I do not think we will see that. You don't think we'll see that? I think no. that we will fill a bunch of space. I think it's going to be complete filler. I think that it's going to be we start where we what we haven't seen and we're going to see her in the car and we're going to bring us right back to that moment where they meet. I don't think that they care about that. And my <laughs> prediction is that when you have a finale like this one mm-hmm. with like a cliffhanger for each character... Janine, uh-huh. I, I didn't mention Janine. Janine ends the season in the back of the van. Anything could happen to right. her. They don't know. They haven't decided what's going to happen. They are probably not counting on any 
any of the cast sticking around for another season. <laughs> uh, so anything except, could, except Elizabeth Moss. Anything could happen, in fact, off camera to any of these people in between seasons. I think when you end a season that way, the only way to begin the next season is a significant amount of time has passed. Oh, really? And we rejoin the characters in their new normal. Mm. And we, the viewer, have to adapt to figuring out what the new normal is for the characters. Okay. Now, I, I caught up with the quip moment. Okay, you did? And it's because Mrs. Wheeler tells uh, Serena to, uh, you know, be quick about feeding the baby. Uh-huh. And Mr. Wheeler chuckles and says, think that's up to little Noah, isn't it? <laughs> Why put, why put that in the show? <laughs> why? It's so weird. That, and it's also so against this dude who's been so cold even to his own wife. Like Again, it's like, I think the the best explanation for for why he put that in the show is... Brad Finley Whitford is directing. <laughs> I honestly think there's a good chance yeah. on the day when they were filming the scene, Bradley Whitford was like, wouldn't he, you know... Maybe he would say this in that in this moment. Don't, wouldn't that be funny? Yeah. Uh, is there a C plot in this episode? Is yes, there any? Okay. because the June stuff only is the first twenty minutes. So Lawrence I, calls her and does a little check in, which is the, which is uh, the best part. Yes, the best part is when June and Lawrence are talking to one another and. And I, I'm referring to not just this scene, but multiple scenes this season. Mm -hmm. The most compelling, most interesting thing is these two characters trying to, like, meet in the middle. Yeah. But not being able to budge far enough to do so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So also what's happening in this episode is Mrs. Putnam is taken to Lawrence that happens in this episode. Oh, God. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I literally wrote, June is talking to Tuello and saying she's done with Lawrence. Well, apparently there's 20 minutes left is what I wrote. So she, so yeah, so she goes over and she's like cartoonishly, it's so funny. This actress does such a funny job. She's like, please don't send me to the colonies. Mm -hmm. And they basically are like, it's a marriage proposal. And he's like, she's like, what? Do I have a choice? <laughs> and I think Lawrence says, That's hurtful. Mm -hmm. so then it's basically like lydia's like oh it'll be like a sacred union because he's like you can move in with the kid yeah you and <laughs> lydia's the kid. like as a sacred union as his as his new wife and child lydia has yes. to clarify also when she's talking to lydia <laughs> mrs putnam goes he had warren killed in front of me and lydia goes which he's willing to overlook <laughs> which is not a bad moment no, it's I, really funny. I got I got to give them some credit for that. Because uh, I honestly thought they might not address it. Yes. And that was a good way to address it. Um, so, is, is it so, so remind me with your notes, please. Is it in this episode or the next one that uh, the, the, the wives and the commanders are over at Lawrence's and the wives are in one room and the commanders are in another that's and this one because she says Lydia's there and she's and Rosie's like, oh, our aunt's on the guest list now. She's so mean. That was an odd moment, but fair enough, whatever. He, that's not the moment I want to talk about. Mm. 
what's going on in this scene when they're talking about Rose's pregnancy? And I hope you remember this better or there's something in your notes about it. But somebody else says something to Rose implying that there's a specific reason why there might be complications with her pregnancy. Oh my God. I think I talked exactly to Sarah about this and she said the exact same thing you did, which I thought is funny because I thought it was very clear. They're making a jab at the fact that she's disabled. Okay. Gotcha. They're basically saying, they're saying like, you know, if, if it, you know, aren't you worried about complications, you know, genetically? Because we don't know what she has, but she walks with right. a cane. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so she has some sort of, you know, some sort of disability where she has trouble walking and so she walks with a cane we don't know what that is it's never been explained and so yeah she's basically saying like it's like a it's a weird scene because it's like it's like aren't you worried about this and she's basically like well the lord gives or whatever (laughs) i got distracted and i got it into my head that they were alluding to something that we were going to learn that we hadn't learned yet. Well, see, that's the thing is like that's be- they've never actually addressed the fact that Rosie has a cane, which in some ways is cool because it's like, look, there's a character with I think I when she first showed up, I was like, look how diverse the show is. <laughs> mm. And in some ways it's cool because it's like, you know, she's just allowed to exist. But then when they do address it, they address it in like the shittiest way possible. And we don't know. Like, I mean. I guess now we're we're meant to assume that it is a genetic thing, that it's not like her foot got run over by a car at some point or something, and it's mm-hmm. like a disability she acquired from a physical injury, but... Um, she didn't get run over by Emily or, or someone. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so in the... Command- or by an angry Canadian. So just real quick, the, the, the I don't have anything to say about the scene with the commanders, just to say that it exists... Yeah. And the content of it is like they're congratulating themselves for killing all of those Americans. And then before it's over, I think the one who is Agnes's quote unquote father is like, eh, probably, you know, we haven't done everything. You know, we, we could still take care of that June problem. Right. And mm-hmm. and uh, Nick is there and and Lawrence is like, yeah, something to consider. And and that's over. And then that becomes something in the previously on because of what happens in the next episode. Now yeah. can now can we talk about the shooting? The uh, they're having a memorial for the uh, dead Americans. Yes. And it's being protested by anti-refugee Canadians. Yes, which can I tell you my f- my favorite thing about the anti-refugee Canadians? Mhm. One of them has a sign that says fuck on it, but they've put an asterisk where mm-hmm. the U is. Yep. In a show where they swear. Mhm. <laughs> they sh- they swear in the show. Well, they're Canadians, and so they're they're the politest violent protesters. Um, so so I I guess Mark says some words, and then I guess a little girl who is the daughter of the pilot that we met, yeah, is supposed to say the pledge of allegiance, and then to she, lead, I think to lead them to lead them in saying the pledge of allegiance to a flag. And when she can't do it, June uh, steps up to help her. Yeah. And as they are starting to do this, um, bullets are fired. Yeah. June dives on the girl. Uh, The American flag. Yes. Gets bullet holes in it. (laughs) Yes. We know that they were shooting at June specifically. 
Which I honestly didn't even consider. When, when, until when now? The, no, no. Until episode 10. Episode 10 oh, obviously yes. made me consider it. So but, I actually considered it because I was like, oh my God, I need to get photos of this because uh-huh. it's such a ridiculous shot. And when I, that was when I saw the bullet holes and I was like, oh, they were, I didn't even notice them until I was looking at a still photograph. Mm-hmm. And that's um, when I was like, oh. I noticed the uh, extremely deep and thoughtful symbolism um, of that image. And, uh, uh, but I was just thinking, I was not thinking, oh, a shooter targeted June. I was just thinking, oh, that protest got really out of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just escalating the story of uh, Canada not wanting them there anymore. Mm. And then uh, uh, episode 10 put it in some more context. And then, and then before the episode is over, um, the shooting uh, gets uh, um, recontextualized uh, by a needle drop, mm-hmm. which I had to pull up my phone to Shazam. Yes, and apparently, apparently, it is a Janelle Monae song. A Janelle Monae song, and I think it's called Americans. I think it is. Yes. So I, I presume. I was like, do not bring in everyone's favorite. I believe Janelle is using they them pronouns now. Pansexual. Presumably, into this. presumably, <laughs> someone uh, behind the scenes googled American song. Um, <laughs> maybe the S got displaced when they were spelling it. And um, presumably the top result was the one that they went with. Yeah. Uh, a song that's called Americans that uh, I don't know the content of and I don't think I need to know. I think I just need to know the title to know well, <laughs> what it's well, doing here. I mean, I think it's worth, I mean, not necessarily like the full content, but I think it's worth, um, the you know, mentioning that Janelle Monae is black if they're writing a song about Americans, it's not going to be a tribute. Yes, exactly. Um, which is, and and in the song, it does specifically say, I pledge allegiance to the flag, learn the words from my mom and dad, cross my heart and hope to die with a big old piece of American pie. Like, I think it's worth mentioning, you know, clearly that also, I think probably influenced it, but I do think it's worth. Yeah. They may have a Google weird. pledge of allegiance song. Yeah. But it's sort of weird to, put this song which is so clearly not what they were just doing up against what they were just doing like they just had people saying the pledge of allegiance which like sincerely. i was like sincerely saying the pledge of allegiance yes which like this show you know part of part of what june has been reckoning with and they've been reckoning with is like what is america now like we're americans but like what is america it's like tuello mm-hmm. like they you know, they don't seem like they're like big patriots or something. It's just like this. But sometimes they do. So, but like sometimes the, they do. And like the this show, is one of the episodes. This is not just this episode and it's not just this season. But historically, I think the show has been pretty much at its worst <laughs> when they they really go out of their way to take moments to be like, ah, oh, America. We didn't yeah. know how good we had it. God bless America. My country tis of thee. We miss it so much. <laughs> and it's so funny too, because like, what's her face? Oh God, Margaret Atwood's Canadian. <laughs> Amazing point. So like, 
it's not like she's like you know really fond. I'm mean, not fond, but it's not like her. It's not her place to be nostalgic for. You know. Mm-hmm. She did write the book about America, but like they had. It's not just that June is the savior. She's a fucking white savior. It's a little black girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that she's true. saving. Yeah. And I, 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 I guess if I'm being generous, if I'm being generous, you know, this is mirroring her saving Hannah, who is mm. also black or, you know, mixed. You know, I don't know how Hannah identifies, but, sure. um, you know, at best, that's what it is. And at worst, it's just like this fucking, like, jerking off of June being this white savior again and again and again. And also about the song, to be clear... Because I guess I neither of us has come out and said this. It's a very upbeat, catchy tune. Yes. As much as the lyrics might be really subversive or, or satirical or biting, the just to hear the song is like it's really upbeat. It's a bop, and it's like bang, bang, bang. Do, 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 you know, do, <laughs> and it's like oh wow, the juxtaposition of of tones. It's um, illuminating. Um, now can we move on to episode 10? Oh my God. I am so sorry. There is one other thing we have to talk about in the last episode. <laughs> okay. Not the, Nick, you mean the previous episode. Yes. The final episode. Yes. Nick and June meet up one that, more time. That also happens in episode nine. They have a little exchange. Again, Nick can just do whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah. And they don't kiss each other. Mm-hmm. So Nick is sort of putting a border. And he, this is also when he tells her that his wife is pregnant. Right. That's all to say about that. And that they don't kiss each other. Because in the past, they've kissed each other even when Luke is around. There, there was uh, something slightly remarkable about that scene, which is that that was the uh, moment that I noticed that um, I believe that the characters, one character in particular, one actor in particular, they were mumbling so much that the caption was just wrong. <laughs> And uh, I think I'll pull it up to get it right specifically. But it's something that Nick says that he really, really, Max, the actor, really just swallows his words. Uh And I read the caption and I was like, I don't think that's what he said. And then the (laughs) the way that June responds makes it clear. No, it is the way that I heard it. Yeah. And not the way that it was captioned. So, yeah, it starts. June gets hit by a fucking truck. (laughs) <laughs> and and speaking of uh juxtaposing different tones with the content of what you've been seeing and uh the music that you're hearing uh-huh. what are, what are we hearing oh god what is that did i write it down just tell me kokomo yeah that's right that's by right. the beach boys which <laughs> i was right. i unrelated to this uh episode uh just uh, hearing this song on the radio recently, mm-hmm. I was telling Dana that I don't remember the context at all. I just remember that th- that the first version of that song that I knew was performed by the Muppets. <laughs> I just remember Kokomo as being something the Muppets performed on TV at some point. Yeah, so if it wasn't clear before that uh, June was a target, now it's uh, entirely clear because um, rather than trying to shoot her again, um, they're attempting to kill her with a car. 
which first off i'm like june get off the road like what are you doing why are you walking in the road there's i know there's a sidewalk because you were just scrubbing like spray paint off of it two episodes ago (laughs) you know what i mean this episode by the way uh directed uh once again by elizabeth moss of course she wouldn't have it any other way she gets hit once and then the truck backs up and runs over her arm Mm-hmm. At which point Luke comes out and is like, ah, <laughs> and beats the shit out of the guy. He has a gun. He gets the gun away from her and from him. There's, and I, I don't know whether it is uh, due to editing or due to uh, what actually the content of what actually takes place, but it felt to me like there is a little bit too much time yes um after the arm gets run over (laughs) to when luke is really in the action yes um you know when when luke you know ran out the door kind of felt like the driver could have gotten one more good whack uh trample in (laughs) Yeah, and I think that I actually I will say as much as I agree with you, I think that they do something really interesting with the way that they shoot this part in the sense that it's very like horror movie. They're very try obviously trying to show this from June's perspective as her like perspective is being warped through pain and through the drugs that they get then give her. Um, it felt very like horror movie to me. Um, I thought that was fun at least. Like I thought they did a fun thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so. Um, I regret backtracking, but here's uh, the specifics of the dialogue in this moment from the scene with Nick and June in episode nine. They are standing face to face and June says, well, this is a fine mess, isn't it? And I know this because I'm not listening to it, but I'm reading the subtitles. Yes. And then Nick's response is, according to the subtitles, and who wants a mess? <laughs> then there's a beat where they're not talking and June responds, yeah, you know what I wish, though? I wish the world would just go away. Now, why is she suddenly talking about the world? Uh-huh. Because he didn't say, and who wants a mess? Uh-huh. He said, the whole world's a mess. Oh, yes. But he said it <laughs> like this. Oh, it was a mess. <laughs> so, yeah. So, she's in the hospital and she, like, basically is, like, they're, like, does this hurt? And she's, like, yes. And right before um, she blacks out, we hear that. Luke's going to be interrogated by the police about what happened because this guy who he beat up is now in critical condition or, you know, he's, you know, it's a whole incident. So they need to get his statement. Which Um, this is another thing that I was not understanding what they were implying. Yeah. When, when the police were there to talk to Luke. Yeah. I was like, yeah, go talk to them. (laughs) You were there. Yes. Like no shit. They would interview you. I was not thinking, oh, we need to be wary of these police because Luke was so violent to the attempted assassin. Well, I, I think was that- not thinking, oh, the police will oh, later we learn. Yes. 
I, I think that at first when he doesn't want to go talk to them, it's because June is still actively getting treated and he wants to be with her. And that makes sense. But also, I just couldn't help myself. I was just like, just go with them, dude. Like, <laughs> Yes, it makes no sense. It makes no sense that he's worried that he's going to be arrested. It makes no sense that he then is, there is a warrant out for his arrest. Like they, the, the thing is that they play it, I think they play it, not only like he feels he needs to be by her side and nowhere else. Yeah. I feel like in addition to that, they play it like, why would I talk to the cops? Yes. <laughs> when there's a good reason. You were there. You're like a, the main witness. <laughs> They'll yeah. talk to everyone who was there. So the the other thing that I wanted to bring up just in general about the whole like, and this is a good time to do it. The I, I know I've been saying like, it's so weird to me, this like dissonance, this like, you know, the fact that there are suddenly these like anti-refugee Canadians. And I, I think I finally come up with the reasoning for it, which is that it feels weird to me because we know that the Canadian government has been so pro-refugee. They have obviously given them a lot of resources. They have been given um, both medical assistance. I mean, at one point, Emily is offered essentially like a free clitoral reconstruction, which is like would be a really intense and complicated surgery, right? Like that would not be a cheap surgery. And all of these things are being offered to the refugees. So it's very weird that suddenly like basically we're told that the government is very pro-Canadian refugee, but then also what we hear is that the anti-Canadian refugee sentiment is coming from the public. But that seems totally separate from the government. And then it's sort of implied that this has trickled up to the government, I guess. Mm. Um, because of like what happens at the end of this episode where they're like, um, you know, checking everybody's papers and people are trying to get out and stuff like that. Um, when in reality, like all we've been shown is the public being against it. and like, I just feel like in general, if the government would be very, like, taking care of everybody, they wouldn't really be a burden on the public, right? I feel like the reason that in America we have all of this quote-unquote anti-refugee sentiment is because there are no resources for refugees. So they end up, you know, do, you know, quote-unquote doing things that then, like, get in the way of the real Americans that should be here. But that, I'm putting this in all heavy scare quotes, but, like, that's not the, that's not what's happening in Canada. Mm -hmm. In Canada, the government is taking care of them. So hypothetically, they have little to no impact on the public. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like that whole like thing that I'm supposed to buy into, like they have done a very consistent job of trying to get me to believe that this is the sentiment now. Um, but it still feels like empty to me, I think, because of that. Mm-hmm. Even though it's been, you know, since the beginning of the season that they've been, like, insisting that this is what's happening. Yeah. I haven't thought about it that deeply, but I think the way you're talking about it makes sense to me. We've seen the marriage proposal uh, pairing Mrs. Putnam with Commander Lawrence. Now uh, we're going to see what I guess is, like, a wedding reception for them. Yeah. And... We're getting uh, the notion that in addition to, well, it's very convenient, you know, these characters can fit together, Lawrence and Mrs. Putnam. Likewise, we have another sort of outcast character who doesn't have a place <laughs> in the world, Janine. What if she also joined them? Yeah. And obviously 
people take convincing for that to happen. And it mirrors how the show has to convince the audience that this is <laughs> that this is possible and that anyone would think that this is acceptable. Well, and I think too, something that you know, it's so funny that Lawrence is like, you know, we had to get rid of like American capitalism and have this other system when in reality it's Gilead mirrors American capitalism in maybe the most egregious way, which is that everybody has to have a purpose and be productive. Mm -hmm. Like the whole point of capitalism, I mean, among other things, is that like your worth is in your productivity. Mm -hmm. So like if you are disabled or something, you're like a deadbeat instead of like just you're you have worth because you're like allowed to exist in the world because you're human. <laughs> and so like this this sort of idea that like well Lawrence has to have a wife because he needs to be productive and he can't be productive unless he's like fitting the structure and like Janine can't just hang out at the red center anymore she has to be productive because otherwise like what is her purpose um is i feel like ironically the most american thing that Gilead could be doing and so here they are shoving these people together that don't want to be together that's all well and good and that is some high-level thinking about this subject matter. And I congratulate you. <laughs> but we have to talk about yes. the scene that pissed me off the most. Okay. In the whole episode and maybe in the whole season. Uh-huh. And it's the hard knock life scene. Oh, it's terrible. Do you know why this made me incensed? Uh, Because it's weird and cliche. Well, it is... <laughs> Also because that's a bad song and I don't like Annie. It is eye-rollingly cliche. But sure, people, real people, normal people do <laughs> stupidly cliche things all the time. Yes. You could apply it for uh, uh, authenticism. Yes. Wouldn't you say that besides that Janine is a sort of old guard den mother yes among a younger generation of handmaids yes isn't isn't that what the show would have me believe yes the whole the idea is that the reason she's allowed to be at the red center is because she's being a model and and taking care of them yeah and they're all younger yes on top of that what do we know based on this season about what life is like for, let's say, let's call them young adults in Gilead. The poor kid who got blown up by a landmine. Oh, yeah. He doesn't know anything about music. Before he died, he heard Luke perform that song and he was like, did you write that? Yeah. So in this scene, when Janine starts singing, it's a hard knock life. One Everybody of the, just joins in. One of them should go, did you just come up with that right now? <laughs> Instead, every single one of them starts singing along and knows the words. I couldn't do that. And I'm a real person who was not like abducted as a child and raised in a society without like arts and culture or whatever. Like, yeah, that's a good point. This made me so angry when this they is started like, I mean, singing yeah. along. And I was like, they shouldn't know by the rules of your own show. 
they should not know this. They should not be able to do this. Well, and then also you think, I mean, Lydia should just absolutely beat the shit out of them. Oh, but this but this is part of Lydia's redemption. This is arc. new Lydia. And She's okay if they sing a little ditty. This is this makes this is the this is the way that they show Lydia's compromise with yeah. the old ways and the new way she could be. She's like, God loves it when you take pleasure in your work. Maybe just choose a more appropriate hymn, right? T he yeah. goodbye. And it's like, okay, that's the new Lydia. She's still she's she still, you know, lives by a code, but also she's going to be nice and lenient. And it's like, okay, that's a little stupid, but fine. <laughs> I I get it, it 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 I get the point of it and it achieves what it set out to do. Yes. It's not totally graceful, but it's successful, yeah. like by a hair. I don't mind that. What what I mind. <laughs> Is the sing along, which should be impossible. It's I wonder not how much only money they is spent it, on that song. Not only is it cliche and corny, but it should be illegal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, if, yeah, we, yeah. if we don't talk about anything else, that's fine. Because that's all I really <laughs> have to get the, off end of the End of the series, guys. Thanks. Uh no, obviously there's one more song we have to talk about, but yeah. th- that's just gravy. So um so yeah, so to 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 play out Janine, that other aunt shows up that we haven't seen all season. <laughs> but who we recognize because she's yeah. been in the show before. And she's like, Janine can't be here forever. And so that's when they, you know, are like, you should do it and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And then like, there's this weird like um, camaraderie that Mrs. Putnam's trying to like build between them. Like, oh, you and I both don't want to be here. And I will say, so the the way that this ends, where Janine is like, I am not friends with you. I hate you. Because she calls her of Lawrence. <laughs> yes. Or of Joseph. Of Joseph, right. Because his name's Joseph Lawrence. She calls him of Lawrence. And she's like, that's not my name. I We aren't friends. And is and it, once again, I was singing that Mal Blum song. <laughs> well, because... Be- and you say once again, yeah, because this is exactly the way that June talked to Serena. Yes, exactly. Independently of these two characters, yes, and she they just, have not talked to each other. They're they're. It's just it. It is a repetition in a way that I thought was strange. I that I think maybe was intended to be artful, but I was like, this. They made this too similar. I liked it, and I'll tell you why. Um, and I'll leave you in the dark. Um, (laughs) I liked it for this reason. When Janine does it like June did, clearly, you know, in our world, we know that both of these people said this and they don't know that they said it to each other in their world. But June is in a position of power. When she's saying this to Serena, Serena's in prison. Mm -hmm. When Janine is saying it to Mrs. Putnam, she's saying this when she is not in a position of power. So it's way more dangerous for her. Right. And Janine has been sort of historically the crazy one. Right. And so... Um, And she's been very strong and, you know, she's been strong throughout things and has been able to stand up for herself at certain times. Um, But, you know, she also has been very much like the way you get through it is to just survive and do what they say. And so I feel like when she says it, it's like Janine is like, you know what? I'm done. I will stand up for myself 
and I will get through this. And if I, and I'm ready to die, if they kill me, whatever at this point, I'm it's ready a, to die. I've a, done everything I could and it wasn't enough. So I'm happy now. I'm happy with how this has ended. And I think, I don't know. I think that's, I say powerful loosely. I think that's good for Janine. I like that for her character. I agree. I think it's a good scene for all those reasons. And I think it is a good scene standing on its own. My yeah. problem with it is that it can't stand on its own because we just we see it in the context of we've already seen a scene where one character says like the exact same thing to another character mm-hmm. who she has a really similar relationship with. And it just strikes me as odd because it's like, well, in in universe, it must be a coincidence. Yes. But we know that it's it's not coincidence it was written this way <laughs> but the, um, but i will say but again i i just feel like it's not unbelievable that it's they because would the power build... the power structure being flipped i think makes it different enough i i mean i think that they're clearly trying to compare them but i feel like the power structure being flipped is what makes it okay in my yeah. mind no yeah that i i understand that i i was not thinking about that um you were just like, we already heard this. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was just thinking like, huh, it's weird that they would have her say like ju- something so similar to something yeah. that someone else said. And, and there's no way that, there's no way that one is because of the other one. Yeah. In universe. Um, so, of course, after this happens with Janine, Mrs. Putnam gives her the boot. <laughs> Uh-huh. Mrs. Putnam does genuinely look hurt, which good. She's not a good person. Yeah. Um, though she also doesn't seem particularly smart. But um, <laughs> p- please don't send me to the colonies. Mm. Um, and so she's back at the Red Center. Lydia's like chastising her, like, I gave you an opportunity. What are you doing? And Janine's like, I don't give a shit. And then um, the eyes come for her. Yeah. And, and also just P.S., by the way, not important, but it's on my mind. In the background of all of this is Esther. And yes, who has ne- not shown up again. We don't see Esther again. They don't say her name again. But her philosophy and her actions, her behavior, all of this is in the background. You know, it's subtext that Janine has been influenced by Esther. And all of that makes sense. But also... It leaves me wanting. I do, I do want them to circle back to that character in more yeah. than just a subtextual way. Yes, me too. And I'm sure. I mean, I'm. She's pregnant. We. They love a baby in the show. Yeah, but also, it would not surprise me at all if she just served her purpose and, and we just never saw her again. Yeah, wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Um, I will say I think it's something that I love about Janine's character that has been consistent throughout is that. You know, even as she's basically saying, like, fuck off to Aunt Lydia, as soon as she sees that Aunt Lydia is very upset that they're taking her away, she's comforting Aunt Lydia. Mm-hmm. She's like, don't worry about me. I've got it. And and she just feels so resolute in a way that um, I think is I really like for her character. Um, and that's also when we learn because Lydia's like, I'll call Commander Lawrence. And that's when we learn, well, Lawrence is the one that put in the order. Something that struck me as just slightly funny about this scene is that I feel like the show really takes its time getting uh, Janine from the room where they pick her up to the back of the van. Yeah. 
And in all that time, we get Lydia following behind and shouting and being like, you won't, you know, you won't get away with this. And and she just has a long time to shout a bunch of things. Uh-huh. And the part that struck me as odd is not just how long it went on, but the interspersed with her, with Lydia shouting at the eyes. Mm-hmm. At times she would just go, Janine, Janine. <laughs> and it's like, well, well, Janine can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> like Janine's not leaving of her own free will. So like, why are you <laughs> shouting Janine? Yeah. <laughs> and I know, and I know that it's sad, and I know that it's desperate, but it just struck me as a little bit odd. Oh, I also think it's worth noting about Janine that we get a Janine face shot. We get like a June version of a Janine. Oh, like the close up. When she's going that, up the stairs, mm-hmm. it's not exactly the same because it's not exactly centered. Yeah. Um, but when she's going up the stairs after yelling at Mrs. Putnam, we get a moment where she sort of, we get a, we get like the, the intense June face. The other thing that I And wanted, I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, which uh, indirectly reminded me that the other thing I wanted to contribute to the conversation about this episode is just to say that in this episode in particular... Bradley Whitford looks good. Yeah. And the difference, I think, is mainly in wardrobe because we normally see him like wearing a scarf. Yeah, he wears his little his little gay scarf. <laughs> <laughs> if you like. And he looks like it. And in this episode, partly, I guess, because he's getting married, but also we see him not at home for the party, but also just in that like big building where he has a conversation with Nick briefly and he has an agenda and somewhere else to be and everyone's dressed in their, you know, command, you know, men in black, uh, suits. Yeah. And, um, so we see him sans scarf and I feel like hair and beard wise, he's been like very neatly trimmed. Yeah. 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 And it just stood out to me as like, Oh, he looks handsomer than usual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this episode in particular. Okay, so who else do we have to follow? I guess Nick. Do we have to? (laughs) Well, Nick, once again, does whatever the hell he wants and is somehow in the hospital where June is. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's like, he has a conversation with Tuello and he's like, just protect her. Like, that's the whole thing. At one point, like, he meets, or maybe that is when he meets Tuello on, like, a bridge. They meet on the Bridge of Spies. They they <laughs> uh, take a page out of uh, the Spielberg canon, and uh, they uh, have a secret uh, nighttime meeting on the Bridge of Spies. Yeah. Where there is a line in the middle, and on one side it says USA, on the other it says Canada. And Nick is so, I wrote, Nick is so emo. Like, at one point in this episode, he goes, I'm nothing to her. <laughs> Chill out, man. And Mark says something to him like, you were an I before you were a commander. You loved her. You were the driver in her house. Why didn't you escape together? Yeah. And he says something like, June doesn't need my help. Yeah. And it's like, 
Okay, Mark was asking you about like a time in the past. <laughs> yeah. And Nick's a- answer is very much present tense. And it could be taken to mean like, well, this is generally true always, no matter what time period we're talking about. Yeah. But it just struck me as like, uh, this is some like sad dialogue and it's not a bad scene, but also it's just not a satisfying answer to the particular question that is raised, which to me felt like a question that would be inserted by a writer because the, it's a question that an audience member would probably come up with on their own. Yeah. Cause we don't know at the beginning that Nick is a spy. Yeah. We just know him as the driver. And then as the show goes on, the show decides, well, he was also a spy. And then that begs the question, well, that probably gave him bully way to come and go as he pleases and get away with a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, so. Kenny always makes jokes about how he must know the roads really well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when he finds out that, uh, you know, well, not when he finds out, but because when when... He punches Lawrence in the face. <laughs> in the middle of what is presumably his like wedding, Lawrence's wedding party or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he gets arrested and, uh, you know, that's when, you know, what the last scene we see of him is he's like in this like. He's in a cell and his wife visits him. and Yeah. And she's like a good man wouldn't leave his pregnant wife every time his girlfriend calls. Right. Um, I also guess it's worth noting, I sort of brought this up earlier too, but like Elise and I were talking about this with like Nick, it's like so confusing, like what he actually like is doing because he like keeps meeting with Tuello and it's like been like maybe insinuated he's going to spy for Tuello, but we never actually see that. But like, we don't actually know what Nick is getting out of it because he keeps saying like, you just have to keep June safe. Mm-hmm. But like Tuello, like one, he can't be with June at all times, and like two, he's like doing a bad job. Like he's not keeping June safe. Like mm-hmm. June gets hit by a fucking truck. Like, mm-hmm. and then you know, with the way that it ends with June too, it's like he has like essentially at the end he has no power. Like the only thing he can do is like, oh, there is a train. Like, right. Um, and so it's like he keeps meeting with Nick, and it's like, why? Like, is Nick giving him information? Like, why are they keep? Whoa, like, why do they keep meeting? What are they exchanging? What are they both getting out of it? And it's like not ever totally clear, and it's like never totally explained. I was led to understand that. Nothing meaningful is exchanged until the final meeting mm-hmm. when Nick uh, has reached his breaking point. Mm-hmm. And because he loves June and because the other commanders, Lawrence uh, included, are targeting June, uh, he's like, well, uh, you know, then I'm going to conspire against Gilead yeah, if they're going to kill the woman I love. Uh, but there is a long runway to get to that point with, uh, yes, as you say, a weird uh, number of interactions uh, prior to that between also, the two who shouldn't be talking. I also think it's worth noting that, like, I feel like earlier in maybe not even this season, but in the whole Nick June situation, 
feel like earlier there was sort of this implication that part of the reason Nick was so invested was because of Nicole. Mm-hmm. Like, that's his daughter. He's, like, never – he's – there's, like – he never really gets to spend time with her to begin with, but then mm-hmm. she's, like, very much gone. And so there's this sort of implication that it's, like, it's not just that they were lovers. It's that, like, they had a child together, and now he, like – cares for this child and i feel like that has totally evaporated that's taken a definitely a backseat to you know the show's concerned about the romance between the two of them because that doesn't make any sense to me as a parent well yeah but it but it's steamy and it and it is supposed to crackle with energy yeah in a way that perhaps the thing that you're looking for uh would not or would would less so I mean, yeah, I get it. I just feel like that is a way more believable. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe both together, right? The sort of like false fantasy that they could be a family together. Sure. Um, Which is a little bit implied when they're talking about New Bethlehem. It's Mm -hmm. like just totally – like he's not – he's never like keep my daughter safe. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Um, But yeah, that's what I have to say about Nick. I don't know if you have anything else to say about Nick. I don't think so. Um, I hope we can move on to the – Real ending. I think that's what we have left, yeah. So June wakes up in the middle of the night because there's yelling in the house. And it's Nick and Moira. No, sorry, Luke and Moira. Is mm-hmm. Rita also there? I think she is, yeah. And She's just hanging out. <laughs> they're, they're basically, they're yelling about wh- what do we do because <laughs> there's another like sweep it under the rug really stupid perfunctory explanation for Uh like moira or rita see it's impossible to remember because it's so insignificant i think it's rita i think that might be why she's there actually rita says like i have a friend who told me that the uh driver died yeah and luke will be arrested for killing him I was like, okay, it's very convenient that they know that. Um, And then on top of that, as they're getting ready to leave, Mm -hmm. and we could talk about how they make the decision to leave, and there's some really passionate dialogue. Uh, As they're getting ready to leave, Mark shows up to stop them. Mm-hmm. says don't go to the airport go to the yeah, train station yeah because they're idiots and they're like oh i'll get on a plane right that's yeah. not how you flee sure right not uh 9-11 apparently still happened in this universe so i suppose you know it... that airport security is way higher than it used to be <laughs> well we don't know what it's like in canada but <laughs> uh or maybe you do i don't i don't know <laughs> what <laughs> i've never been to canada oh well it's the the, the point is it's it, it it reminds me of the way that I talked about the CD and the disk drive and and the, the way they the, the way they talk about the flash drive is like well this is in conjunction with other information that we also already have from other sources mm-hmm. that are even vaguer than what you see going on <laughs> and yeah. then plus nothing happens until we get the CD and it's like okay it seems like all of this could be like consolidated into like one meaningful plot point instead mm-hmm. of like spread out over a bunch of vague nonsense. Likewise, like if, if you're going to write the scene so that Mark shows up to help them, mm-hmm. why do they need 
another source of information that is totally ill-defined of how they learn that the guy died and the police are going to arrest Luke. It's like, yeah. just, just combine the two things. Yeah. <laughs> Luke, Mark is going to help. There's no suspense about whether Mark is going to help them or not. Like, anyway, he's like, there are too many refugees. Canada doesn't want them anymore. We're putting them on trains going west. Tonight. You haven't Tonight. heard of this before now. Somehow. Go there right now and that's your way out. Uh, so they, they become fugitives, basically. Yeah. It's significant that they're looking for Luke for what I guess could be ruled as a murder. but That's they, what they're saying it is, yeah. But they will also pick up June. Okay, I, I take it all back. Everything that I just said, I take it all back. Because the delete wi- the podcast. The re the re not a bad idea actually. <laughs> the reason that they wrote it the way that they did mm-hmm. is because they need to try to flee before they get the information for how they will escape. Because the act of trying to flee is what they will pick up June for. Mark says mm-hmm. they'll arrest June for like attempting to escape, you know, helping assist. Yes. If it's help. June with Luke, they'll get June for trying to help Luke flee. Yes. And but June could go by herself. And they'll take the baby away. Yes. Uh, so that's the reason why uh, they're, they're, neither of them is safe. I do want to rewind slightly to there is a scene between June and Luke where June is saying, we waited too long the last time. We have to run. And I, um, as much as I think it's very silly that Luke is going to be arrested for this murder that was very clearly self-defense because June like literally was run over by a truck and there's like very good evidence and witnesses to that. (laughs) Um, If we do know and accept that he is going to be arrested um, and also that this refugee situation is as bad as it is. Um, I think that the little speech she does is actually good. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that it's there. It's does it does, it's not like like for everything else that's happening. I was like, this is good. <laughs> that's the part that I was sort of glossing over. But yeah, yeah, that 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 part is a strength of the episode. Yeah. Um, all of this conversation about what happens with them is just in service of getting us to the ending. I don't have anything to say about the train station, about the meaningful look at a child, about uh, the way that they get separated. Mm-hmm. Um, I We just have to talk about the very end, getting on the train, seeing Serena... Them saying two words to each, them saying hello to each other. Serena saying, got any diapers? June. (laughs) Which, by the way, Sarah messaged me and was just like, she wouldn't have diapers that are the same size. Their babies are different ages. And I was like, thank you, Sarah. (laughs) Yeah, she should have asked, do you have any old diapers? Not used diapers, (laughs) but diapers that that are older, you haven't used them. Nicole's like two. Leftover diapers, if you will. (laughs) And her babies, we know, is underweight. (laughs) 
So that's the last line because uh, June does not say anything in response. Everything that she says is nonverbal. She says it all with her facial expressions, yeah. which are bizarre. It's it's just a weird way <laughs> for somebody <laughs> to react. Um, and then and then what happens? When we all fall asleep, where do we go? <laughs> they drop as I, as I will so many times in the future in my own home. Now they drop the needle. <laughs> Uh, on the record, and we hear Billie Eilish to close it out. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? I don't know. It was a weird choice. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was like, which, wait, what What actual song is that? I know that's like the title track, but that's not the name I was of hoping, the song, is it? I was hoping you would know. I, I wrote it down, and I thought I should do this ahead of time. And I, I was just like... <laughs> <laughs> to, to me, my knowledge of Billie Eilish is like, when I hear that song, I go like, oh, this is uh, not bad guy. And it's not You Should See Me in a Crown. It's... Uh, it's Bury a Friend. That's what it is. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. But the, the album is called When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? Which is from that song. Which is from that song. Bury a Friend, I feel like just that title makes at least a little bit more sense in context. But it's such a weird choice. It feels it the uh, uh, so much of what you hear me say is like me trying to come up with the best explanation I can for something that strikes me as odd, and the best explanation I can think of is that they have a checklist that they're running down, and they're like, "Well, we already used Kate Bush twice. We can't <laughs> do that again post Stranger Things season four. Yeah. Uh, well, Billie Eilish is on the checklist and we haven't used Billie Eilish yet. Unless they have and I don't remember, but I don't think they have. So it's like, oh, slot it in. Yeah, it's very strange. It's so weird. And cross it off the list. Yeah, what? So weird. I I stand by that I, I, I will, I would bet money on my guess about that we will at least see flashbacks to Serena escaping. Yeah, maybe um, flashbacks. I still think that there's going to be a new normal. And it would I be s- amazing if it's a new normal episode that includes flashbacks and we're both right. <laughs> I just, I, 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 it would, yeah, we could both be right. I think that that journey mm-hmm. just feels much easier to gloss over to me yeah. than to fill in with anything that would be additive to the story. Oh, I, I want to be clear. I don't think it's a good idea. Right. And they they can, <laughs> they they are fully capable of doing plenty of things that will not be additive. It's what I think they will do based on what they have done in the past. <laughs> but yeah, I think the idea of them zooming way ahead is also interesting, especially since we know that they want to do the testaments. Yeah. Um, do you have any final predictions for where this is not how the next season is going to start, but where this is going to end up? Like, I just I've been, feel like I, I've been trying to negotiate, like, how did, how would, how would it have to end in order for them to do the testaments strictly, like to do everything that the testaments does? So I haven't read the Testament, so I can't fully say. But one thing I will say is I think I think a major character is going to have to die. Mm-hmm. 
I could see them building a friendship between Serena and June. And then Serena dies in service of June. Mm-hmm. Because as a way to redeem her character. Sort of like how Anya dies at the end of Buffy. Spoilers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. like Anya at the end of Buffy dies but it's also like yeah but she besides doing a bunch of evil shit when she was a vengeance demon went back to that and then like murdered all those people so it sort of like feels like a balancing a little bit yeah it does feel like as much as they've uh, dabbled in making Serena a sympathetic character that mm. they might have enough of an understanding of how the audience feels to know that the only version of redemption for her is her sacrificing herself. Yeah. I also hesitate to think that they would do that because she has a baby. And I don't think that they want to write a story about that baby ending up with June June. or anyone else. I think they might, though. I think that that might be... I'm open to that possibility. I feel like... If the show, because the Testaments, in the Testaments, Hannah is still in Gilead, right? Correct. I just feel like they cannot end the show with Hannah still in Gilead. I know that that that's what happens in the books, but I just feel like they cannot end the show that way. That is increasingly how I have been feeling as well. Yes. Because it's like, I feel like, and I've said this from the beginning, like the whole point has been Hannah. Mm -hmm. That's been the like underlying plot point through everything and there's been other things that have been happening but like the low drone under everything is hannah 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 that's what they want us to think and that is their sort of ace in their back pocket for justifying the story going on and on and on um i do think the two things that i will be looking out for the most in next season which again is supposed to be the final season season six um are uh as i already alluded to before will we ever see esther again is does Mm -hmm. that story continue and then the other thing that uh (laughs) it's sort of been on the back of my mind is just like moira has been just like totally sidelined so i know she's there and she's in most episodes but she does nothing like there's no character there like she had she literally like, will like go get the baby. Yeah, she had nothing. So I am curious now that she can't. She's not around to take care of the baby. Um, I guess Moira. I guess Luke is left behind, and so Moira could be part of and Rita too. Mm-hmm. The story of you know Luke being imprisoned or whatever. Yeah. But um, yeah, they're going to be the ones visiting Luke in prison. Yeah, I am curious to see will they ever uh, be re-elevated to the status of like having actual like story for their characters rather than just being like players yeah, in the other sense. character stories. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up and say thank you again. Yes, of course. Thank you for doing my silly plot my silly silly ploy to do a, a bi-weekly recap of this. I knew that the season was going to be absurd, and I was correct. You were right. Uh, you were right to suggest it. And for all the reasons that I've stated, including my neat little narrative for the podcast in 2022, I'm grateful. I guess to- one thing I will say now that we have gotten through the season is this season was significantly less violent mm-hmm. than every other season. And I really appreciated that. Sure. 
by appreciated, I mean it made it less terrible to watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a so little I'm more... glad that they've gotten away from that. Yeah, I hope it, that they heard like this is torture porn, and they were like, "Oh, that's bad." It's a pretty uh, it, yeah. This season, it has felt like a pretty watchable show. Yeah, uh, despite uh, all of our criticisms. Yes, like the one rape that happens in the show happens off camera. It did, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So they could surprise us with it. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. We and, love you and I love you, Will. Uh, I love you too. Follow us on Twitch and we will talk to you in December. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye bye. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at youngest of one, and his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram at exclamate underscore on Twitter or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>